by the way that we respond to you. God, today would um, our eyes would be opened to the things you would desire of us to see, things that need transformation in our life, things that we need to look more like Christ areas in our life. Got to pray that we would be faithful to you as we persevere in this journey that you've set us upon. Pray that you would receive honor and glory this morning by the way that we walk. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we enter this time of invitation, what we do here is we, we sing a song together and we respond to, to what Christ has taught us today. And so, uh, so what we'll do is we'll stand. Uh, I'm here at the front to greet you. If you would like to join the church or maybe you want to, uh, to give your life to Christ, confess him as Lord for the first time ever, I'm here to greet you in that. But as we, uh, as we stand together and sing the song inv- invitation, we let Christ be glorified. Isn't that awkward? Is that awkward? All right. You're thinking about the end anyways, right? Why not just go ahead and have it? Why not just go ahead and start with the end? Make a point here. Start with the end. With the end in mind. Clearly thinking about the end. And what comes at the end? You're already thinking about it. If you're like me, as a child, always thinking about the invitation, not because I was ready to respond to Christ, but because I knew that service was about to be over. On a day like today, when we have a meal waiting for us, uh, we're thinking about the end. Our mind is wrapped around, I can't wait for this part to, to be finished, so the next part can take Place the end is always uh, apparent. We're always thinking about the end. A few years ago, um, we took our kids to a 3D movie. You ever been to a 3D movie? And you have to wear those cool 3D glasses. They look like sunglasses, but they're uh, they're properly made so that you can see uh, clearly the 3D image that's going to be on the the movie screen. And one of our children uh, constantly took those glasses off. Like you have to wear those glasses in order to see the 3D portion of this movie. To get the full experience, you're going to have to wear those, wear those glasses. Yeah, but Daddy, when I put them on, I can't see anything. No, no, that's part of it. You're, you're, you're seeing the, the screen is jumping off. It's, it's like here. It's, it's three-dimensional. It's something that you can actually see, almost like you can touch it. Yeah, but when I put those glasses on, Daddy, I, I can't see anything. Well, let me see your glasses. So I put them on, and sure enough... There was enough popcorn, grease, and butter on those glasses that nothing could be seen. So let's take those off and just watch it the way it is. It's fuzzy, I know, but just watch it the way it is because those glasses aren't helping at all. My hope as one that teaches the word, one that preaches the word, my hope is that I can help clean your glasses so that you can have a clear vision of what lies ahead of us so that you can see clearly what Scripture is saying to us, so that you have a chance to respond faithfully to God. You're not responding to me. You're not responding to your Sunday school teacher. You're not responding to your spouse or to your parents. When we hear the Word of God, we are responding to the author of the Word of God, which happens to be God. And so when we hear God's 
Bible taught in any circumstance, we look at it. We can be critical. We can say, let's, let's dissect it in a critical way. Let's look at this. How does it apply to my life? What is God saying to me? What is Christ desiring of me as I'm studying these, these words? And then we respond with that. And now you know. So which way are you going to walk? Now you know what to do. How are you going to respond? Here's who your neighbor is. How will you love him or her? Walk in that. Do those things. And so as we've been studying through Ephesians, we come to the end. We come to the end of this letter. And Paul ends with things like, finally, here's the last instructions. Of all these things, I want you to know these things. I want you to respond to these things. I want you to walk in this in this way. So let's recap just for a moment here. I know some of you are thinking we've been in we've been studying Ephesians. I realize that, all right? So uh so I'm not just humor me for a second. Let's do a little bit of recapping here. If you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 1, what we're going to do is I'm going to point out several verses so you may have to flip a page or two, all right? I'm going to do my best so that you can keep up with me. I will tell you the verse, the chapter and the verse so that you can read along if you would like. Uh, but I'm going to do my best to, to do a little recap of what we've pointed out here the last, oh, 20 or so weeks um, on the things that uh, stick out to us, are important to us as a church here, uh, not in Ephesus, but in Lovington. So in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul reminds us, he says this in verse 7, chapter 1, verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set out for us, set forth in Christ for us as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. What a great statement to begin with. Here's who Christ is. Here's what he's done for you. Here's what he's going to do for you and I and the rest of the world. Minimizing fleeting things, maximizing the eternal king because he is it. Looking at those things that are going away, that's a fleeting thing, things that are going away, and focusing our attention on the things that are of eternity. Our view, our gaze on the things that are of eternity. Not just the momentary things, but the things that are forever with the end in mind. Move on to verse 18 of chapter 1. He says this, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Verse 19, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might? LeBron James is playing basketball tonight. I'm not sure if you're familiar with basketball. It's a round ball, bounces, it goes inside a hoop. There's a big championship game tonight. Uh, LeBron James is a basketball player. He's pretty well known. And uh, he's wearing, uh, in, in an interview yesterday, a sweatshirt that says greatness because he feels like he is it. Oh, to know that there's something greater than even LeBron James. Verse 20, that he worked in Christ. When he raised him from the dead, can LeBron James raise somebody from the dead? No. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. The question, where is Christ today? Many of us would say he's in our heart. We can see scripture that kind of helps point us that, that his spirit resides in us, that we are his temple, that he lives inside of us. But Christ himself is in a place of authority. 
He's seated at the right hand of God. When the completed time came, when the work of Christ, the completed work of Christ was done, and he said it is finished, he was elevated to a position of all authority, seated at the right hand of God. Eternal things that he worked in Christ. When he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the, in the one to come. Above my name, above your name, above every name that you know, Christ's name is above all of those names. Verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which he, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. When I started here many months ago, I said I am still an interim, like Dale was an interim. If Christ does not return, I will not be the last pastor here. I'm only here for a, a momentary time. Though the momentary time may be years, still it's only a momentary time in the ancient work of God. Yourself, you're only an interim ambassador for Christ until the next ambassador or representative of Christ comes along in the ancient work that God has allowed us to be a part of. We are momentary like the things of this world. Christ is eternal, so we elevate and lift him up as, as God has done elevating Christ to the place of authority. Chapter 2, Paul goes on to remind us as a recap here, starting in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, more wealthy in mercy than anyone in this room, more wealthy in mercy than anyone in this world, but God being rich or wealthy in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So we were dead because of our sin, because of our trespasses against God. But God who loved us and is rich in mercy makes us alive in Christ. That's something that we should share with one another every day. Like we talked about last week, Luke 24. And they remembered Christ's words. They remembered his words. When we think about that, we think about moments like this where we can say, I was dead, but now I'm made alive in Christ through our merciful God. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. By grace, you have been saved. I have to remind myself often, because me gets in the way, because I get in the way of my life often, I have to remind myself that even God's grace can overcome me. When I get in the way, my pride gets in the way, and the things of me get in the way, I'm reminded that I was dead in my trespasses. But God, being rich in mercy, can even overcome me. Some of you are like, wow, he's a terrible person. Thanks be to God that we have a not-so-terrible God. In fact, a rich in mercy God, a compassionate, slow to anger, steadfast, always the same God who loves and can overcome through his grace even people like me. And raised him up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He didn't just say, hey, you're dead, I'm going to make you alive, now go on your way. But instead he says, you're dead, I'm going to make you alive and I'm going to give you purpose for your life. In fact, I'm even going to elevate you into a position with Christ. Seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You've been saved in order to be showing the world 
who saved you. You've been saved. Grace has overcome even you, even me, and the sins that live in, have lived inside of us and controlled us. You've been set free so that you can be give evidence to the immeasurable grace that saved you. Chapter 2, verse 18. For through him we have both access and one spirit to the Father. You, you did not before. That's what that's saying. Before Christ, you had no access to the Father. But through him, we both have access. All nations have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. There, there are no longer strangers and aliens, but instead all one because of Christ. Those who confess Christ as Lord, who have been saved, the blood has redeemed them, purchased them, forgiven them. Now we have an inheritance. And no longer are we a stranger. You know, a stranger, the one that knocks on your door, and then you open the door and you say, who is this? You get to knock on the door of heaven. The door's open. Welcome, Matt, son of Rex and Mary, husband to Mary. I'm husband to Mandy. You know her name. Those types of things where we get to hear God say who we are. He knows us. We are no longer a stranger. We are no longer, we are no longer an alien. Chapter 3, in recap here, verse 17 of chapter 3. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Well, Paul's writing this inspired by the Holy Spirit, writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, saying as you walk this journey, though I'm in chains, still an ambassador of Christ, as you walk this journey, know this is why you've been saved. Not for yourself, but for the ancient work of God. So that Christ may dwell inside of you. So that you can be rooted and grounded in Him. So that the love that He has for you may grow. May, may, may you understand it even more as you walk this journey. This journey as a believer in Christ. Chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You have this sign, this label, as an inheritor of God's kingdom. You have this sign, this label, as one who's been forgiven by the unmeasurable, by the rich grace and mercy that God has lavished upon us. And so in that, you walk in a manner worthy of the calling that he's placed upon you. Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. See, there's only one body and only one Spirit. And just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Christ exists and His completed work exists for us and we exist for Christ. You don't exist for yourself. I don't exist for myself. We exist in Christ's completed work for Him. 
You wake up and you say, my wealthy and mercy God who has compassion for me, though I was dead in my trespasses, gives me life in Christ. And because I have that life in Christ, I now represent that. It gives me purpose to exist for something other than myself. Because if I only existed for myself, I would see that myself is fleeting and temporary. But if I exist for something greater than myself, the Almighty God, then I see that my life exists for eternity. Chapter 4. When we get to chapter 4, we talk about how to walk, what it looks like to, to walk. We, we talk about the gifts that are given to us and how those gifts are to, to be used for God's kingdom, for his church. And then he goes on to say some simple things like in verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Then in verse 29, he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. We're talking about eternal things, not momentary things. Though anger seems like momentary, we look past that. We say, I don't want to give Satan a stronghold. Though talk seems simple, we want to let the words that are coming out of our mouth be things that are only such as good for building up for the occasion. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice because those things are only momentary. And then chapter 5, verse 1, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Be imitators of God. Don't imitate me, don't imitate Gary, don't imitate anyone else in this room, but instead imitate God. We're all trying to become someone. We've had mentors, we've had examples. I long to be like this person because they made great choices. I long to be like this, this person because they were a great leader. I long to be like this person because they showed compassion, they showed mercy, they showed love, whatever or whoever it is. We're longing to be someone. Paul reminds us, don't be fleeting and who you want to become, but instead be imitators of the eternal one, be imitators of God, and walk as if God was walking through you. Verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Walk in a manner worthy, imitating God. Be wise, not as unwise people, but making the best use of our time. And that's where we get to Ephesians chapter 6. For the last weeks, few weeks here, we've been talking about the armor of God, which starts in verse 10. Finally, understand that you're not on a playground. You're on a battleground. And because of that, you must be prepared. But I have to remind you of verse 10 again. How often we forget this. He says, finally, in chapter 6, verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Uh, Something that I mention to uh, Mandy often is how I recognize my weaknesses. Those are really easy to point out. When I look at my own self, when I reflect on myself, I say, here's where I'm weak, here's where I'm weak, here's where I'm weak, here's where I'm weak. 
there was a pull-up competition at our house last night. And, uh, and there was weakness, physical weakness shown and evident in many of the Thackersons. Weakness is easy to point out. Strength is something that we take pride in. And because we take pride in our strength, we often say, Lord, in my weakness, will you help me? But in my strength, I've got it. I've got these things under control. If you can handle these things, uh, then, then I'll let you handle the weak things. Our strength often gets in the way. See, see really, the truth is that your strength and my strength is not even really relevant when we're fighting the battle that belongs to the Lord. It's not about your strength or my strength. It's not even about my weakness or your weakness. Instead, it's all about the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. The Lord's strength outranks everything else. The Lord's strength is boss. The Lord's strength has all authority over everything. Lord, what I think I'm strong at, please help me in that. I know I need your help in my, in my weakness, but also help me in my strength. Let, let my strength not become a pride where I can say, oh, I, I have this under control. So Lord, I have this under control. Would you please take control of these things? But I've got these things, or I have, whichever you'd like to say. We are most likely, J.D. Greer says this, we are most likely to forget God in our strength. If there was ever a moment in your day or in your life where you would think not about God and forget Him, it would probably be in the moments where you feel strong. In those moments you say, I don't need to depend on anybody else because I am strong. Paul is reminding us here, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His, His might, not in our own self. Where is your strength coming from? Or where do you see your strength coming from? People look for pills, patches. They look for family, friends to give them strength. They look for coffee. Anybody else? Savings account, bank account, whatever it is. We're looking for strength saying, I'm, I'm okay in this area, but Lord, in my weak areas, would you please, would you please rise up? And that's not what living this life that God has called us or set out for us is about. It's not about recognizing our strengths or even recognizing our weaknesses, but it's, re- it's all about recognizing who God is and His strength and His might and being strong in that for His glory, for His power. You can take up the whole armor. You could look at it all and say, I've got this and I've got this and I've got this and I've got Look how great I am. I put on this armor. Look how strong I am. And you could free it all about 610, being strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. So we cannot, we cannot forget that. And I think that's why Paul ends this letter inspired by the Holy Spirit, was with verses 18 through 24, when he says this, Ephesians 6, 18, through the rest of the chapter, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert, with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. To that end, this is what we're thinking about. This is what we're focused upon. Our vision is about things of eternity. Our vision is about forever things and not momentary things. In verse 21 he says, So that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. 
And I've sent him to, to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Incorruptible means not able to be corrupted. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty easy, right? Forever things. And in a world that things are being destroyed all the time, and lives are being lost every moment, and wickedness seems more than ever, maybe because our eyes are being opened to it, we look for things that are forever. We look to things that we can say is, is, is eternal, incorruptible, that will last forever. And as long as we try and find those things in our own strength and our own weaknesses or things of this world, we will never, though I've said it many times before, we will never be satisfied until we fix our gaze to what the end really is. We fix our gaze upon things that are not fleeting, things that are forever. Have you ever been stargazing? Anybody ever been stargazing? I'm not talking about like Ariana Grande or Frank Sinatra or somebody like that. I'm talking about actual stars in the sky. There's an app that we use um, that kind of gives a, an idea of like a map of the skies. Hey, this is what this is, and this is obviously the moon. Uh, these are stars. Look, there's a rocket, those types of things. And uh, so as we're in the backyard or we're somewhere and we're looking at the star and we're stargazing, uh, we look up and I say, oh, look at that. There's a, a rocket or there's a star or there's the moon. And, I, and I'm staring at it and, and I hear several others saying, where? And I'm like, right there. But where, where, Daddy? Over here. You just have to look over here. And I'm, and I, then I look down, right? And then everybody else is looking over here. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. C clearly, we're not looking at the same things. C clearly, my vision is over here, and your vision is directed at something else. Let's join together. Last summer in Canada, we saw some uh, some bighorn sheep. I believe it was. And uh, Gary spotted them. Hey, on the hill, on the mountain. There's some bighorn sheep so we start gazing at the bighorn sheep and uh, two gentlemen in the car said where like over here so we're trying to show them exactly where the bighorn sheep are and there was many moments of frustration in fact all the moments were frustrating and I said my words were I'm not playing this game anymore <laughs> because it was hard to get their vision directed towards where those bighorn sheep were. Clearly, we were not looking at the same thing. Clearly, our focus was not, and our vision was not on the same thing. Christian, believer, one who has confessed Christ as Lord, the, the, the world around you should be able to recognize that clearly you are not focused on the same thing as they are that your vision and your gaze is upon something else. I, I say this slowly because it hurts when I say it to myself. One of the questions I ask myself before I preach, uh, have I applied this message or teaching to my own life? This is very difficult to think about. Can the world around me recognize that my vision is placed upon something else than the vision and direction of this, of this world? I think Paul is saying, finally be strong in the Lord. All these things you've inherited, grace, immeasurable, 
Put your trust in things incorruptible. Fight this battle with things that are from eternity, not things that are from this moment. Fix your vision on something greater than yourselves. That is very convicting. When I think about God saying, if we could have an audible conversation, Lord, here's where I need you. Here's where I need you. Lord, I have have these things under control. And God would come back to me and say, clearly, we are not focused on the same things. Clearly, your vision is set upon something else. Clearly, you're not looking at the same thing as I am. Maximize the eternal king. Minimize the fleeting things. Set our gaze and our vision upon things that are forever. I love in verse, at the end of verse some. Verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit, listening for God as we're praying, talking to Him. Like John Piper said, prayer is this wartime walkie-talkie, that we're hearing commandments from the Lord saying, go and walk this way. Not just a beginning or an ending or our mealtime, or it's drought, or it's uh, elections, and so we better pray. No, it's, it's an all-the-time thing. We're, we're praying at every moment, praying at all the moments, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, or with this view in mind, With this view in mind, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. You you have this view, this end in mind, this eternity that's in your gaze instead of the things of this moment. Uh, Tradition in my family when I was growing up was to go to Six Flags in Arlington, Texas. My grandparents lived in Fort Worth. If you've been to Fort Worth, they lived over by TCU. We'd hop on the interstate. We'd caravan as a, as a, as a group of uh, family members going to Six Flags early in the morning. We want to get there uh, when the gates opened so we could spend the entire day being amused at the amusement park. And on the way there, there was always a game that we played, and the game was uh, the first one who sees the tower, which is a huge tower at Six Flags, the first one who sees the tower at Six Flags as we're driving there wins. There wasn't really any, like, like anything on it, like you won five bucks or you know you won a, a popsicle or anything. It was just a matter of pride. The first one who sees the tower at Six Flags wins. My mom always won. I guarantee still today she would still win this game. As we're searching the horizon, looking back and forth, saying, oh, at any moment, at any moment, at any moment, we're going to see this, we're going to see this, we're going to see it. My mom knew exactly what moment to look for. She knew exactly on the interstate where when we got to that point, she knew she could see the tower, Six Flags. She knew exactly where to go to. She knew exactly where to go to to see the tower, Six Flags. She knew the exact moment, the place Really, she could probably even say the time, and she would be able to see the tower at Six Flags. Instead of glancing around like this, my mom was fixed upon a moment, fixed upon a destination. She knew the end clearly. I'm going to view the tower at Six Flags when I get to this point. I'm going to give you three really preachery things to help you with this. You ready for this? There are moments in your life, there are places in your life that you should be able to go to and say, I can see the end. Those places are those moments are those things are things of eternity. The Bible is one of them. The book that God has given us. You want to know where to fix your vision and your direction? Ask yourself, am I remembering the words of Jesus? Or have I made this up? Have I made this about me? 
The Bible is one of them. When Paul talks about being an ambassador, trying to share this mystery of the gospel, he's talking about people who believe in Christ. So believers should be another person or place or thing that we should be able to look to and say, you know what, your gaze is different. Your view is on something different. You've you've got this grasp upon life unlike I've ever seen before. What is it about you? Oh, well, let me tell you. My view is on things incorruptible. My, My view is on things forever. My view is on things of eternity, not for just this moment. Like we said last week, do you know anyone that's still in line at Walmart? Do you know anyone that's still stuck in traffic? Do you know anyone that's still waiting at the driver's license office? I don't know of anyone. They're momentary things that you will get through if you base your strength upon the strength of the Lord and your gaze is fixed upon him and nothing else. So the moment on the interstate that my mom was looking for was the Bible. The moment on the interstate where she knew for certain this is where I can fix my gaze upon eternity is believers. And the other is this building. When we gather together as believers who use the book, the Bible that God has given us, this building should be used for his purpose. The conversations inside this building should be about him. The messages, the songs, the prayers, the decisions we make as believers who trust in God's word should help us and help the world around us fix our gaze upon things of eternity. So I've been saying it for about 25 weeks now, but as a believer, you and I have to minimize the fleeting things. We have to maximize the eternal king. I don't want to be sitting a thousand years from now and if it was possible to be sitting in heaven and reflecting back on the past and have regrets. I don't want it to be that our church focused on fleeting things. I don't want it to be that our church was focused on things that were momentary and going away. But instead, how great it will be to rejoice for a thousand, ten thousand, twenty thousand, however long eternity is, forever. We get to rejoice in the ancient work that God allowed us to be a part of. And the fact that we pointed people in the direction. Let, let me just show you. At this moment in your life, here's what, here's what you need to fix your gaze upon. Come and be a part of this gathering. Let, let me share with you how to be a believer in things of eternity and not things of just this moment. Incorruptible things. And let me sh- explain to you the immeasurable greatness of our rich and mercy, compassionate God. When Paul says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication, and to that end, or keep this in view, or with this in view, keep alert with all perseverance. Is perseverance not the most difficult thing ever? To persevere through every moment of life. To walk in a manner worthy of the calling that God has placed upon you and I. And to persevere through those difficult times. The only way to do it is to constantly be in conversation with our Lord. To set our vision upon things not of this this world. The cool thing about our forgiver is our forgiver is focused on eternity. And when he forgave you and is forgiving you and will forgive you, he's forgiving you for eternity. Not just for this moment. So if the forgiver can focus on eternity, surely the forgiven can focus on eternity as well. Let's pray.
God, as we truly enter into a time of invitation, where traditionally we have set aside a moment where we get to respond to you, 